Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, how you doing? Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available for Monday the 17th of January 2022 with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson, episode 369. Hope you're all healthy and doing what you need to be doing to keep yourself going. It's 10.32 hours, slightly later start than I'd hoped for. It's another cold and grey day here in South London. The traffic outside is uh, clearing up a bit. About an hour ago, there was just uh, another one of those long traffic jam visuals. So we've we've gone back to what the streets, what the roads were like before the pandemic. Waffling anyway, let's stop the waffling. Difficult weekend, a quiet one, a, a boring one, didn't speak to anyone, still haven't spoken to anyone now, coming up to, I think, 62 hours. So it's going to be good to get out this afternoon after a run, go to the cafe and just try and get my head down and uh, do some work. It was one of those weekends where I had to keep myself busy, which just involved reading, lots of reading. Bit of work yesterday, but uh, mainly reading, so I wasn't really thinking too much. Very cold as well, just trying to keep warm. Was wearing uh, eight layers at one point. Got the long johns on as well as I'm uh, recording this. Double socked, treble socked yesterday briefly. Rationing the heating. Don't want to be getting some shocking bill come the spring. It was one of those weekends, as I say, when ideally I should have got out, but I didn't. One of those, uh, one of those weekends, one of those moments that it produced where I was handling something, something of no consequence whatsoever. But you start thinking, well, hard swallow there, first hard swallow of the show, ten thirty-four hours. Well, you find yourself thinking at some point this had been handled by someone who's no longer in my life, and I always find those moments very difficult. Yeah, it goes back to that whole bereavement thing. Someone's not coming back into your life. They're gone. They don't have to have died for that to be the case. You've just got to keep moving on as you try to make whatever you can of your life and uh, you're incurring losses along the way. You've got to, you know, you've got to stay strong in your mind, I think. And yeah, it was it was a challenging weekend in that uh, in that respect. I don't think I'm actually articulating what I was feeling yesterday. But the books kept me busy. And I think in the books, that's been my salvation. That's been my way through this. So I'll come to the books later. So tomorrow, you know, today, I'm looking forward to today. It's Monday. Go to the cafe this afternoon, hopefully feeling a bit brighter disposition-wise, you know, after my run. And I'm going to do a longer session in the, the cafe. Obviously, that's going to cost more, but... It's going to be worth it just to keep myself feeling a bit more upbeat. And there are reasons to feel upbeat creatively. That, that again, that and the books is uh, keeping me going. Tuesdays are the real problem for me. Last Tuesday, I was intending to head to the cafe that I found over Christmas with my sister, which is not far from here. 
but it got so late that I just thought, well, it's not worth doing. It was also raining so hard. It was raining relentlessly last Tuesday in South London. I think if I'm going to find a way to bring in this alternative cafe to cover Tuesdays for me, it's going to have to be earlier than late afternoon. I think once it gets to late afternoons, my attitude changes on a Tuesday. It's, well, it's the hardest day of the week for me, but I'm almost there now and I've got an opportunity to save money. So it just uh, it just ends up being a day where I'm just indoors all day and it does me no good at all. In other news, second or third hard swallow, 10, 36 hours. The latest uh, When Shorts Were Short episode is out. That features an interview with Lindsay Jelly, the godmother of replica kits. Her work with Admiral Sports in the mid-70s through to the early 80s changed the football replica kits market forever. And there's also a chance, if you listen to the show, to win a book via Twitter's unofficial bookshop, Big Green book so the battle to stay warm is ongoing for me as it may be for you the reading as I say that's helped me tremendously this weekend if not my eyes got a night test on Wednesday again with the eyes Dave that's going to cost a fair bit but that whole two-year turnaround that you're told when you go for an eye test it didn't work for me last time my eyes are now declining at such a such a speed that I think the last one was nine months that the, the, the two eye tests were nine months apart. This time it's going to be 13 months apart. I'm just making too many uh, too many mistakes. Even posting a tweet becomes a real problem. Running, struggling with the running 6K, that's about as much as I can do at the moment. And even that is at a push. It's the cold. I just cannot run in the cold. And, you know, the muddy park is a real problem. I come in, I, I make sure I clean my trainers outside as much as I can. If I can, I remove my trainers. The Christmas tree needle uh, needles have now been cleaned up by the uh, cleaners. So I've got the option of taking my trainers off and just walking up the stairs, the two flights of stairs in my budget sports socks. So I might have to do that. The problem is when I'm heading out now, I've got so much dried mud now on the trainers that it's likely to come off on the stairs. And then I find myself thinking, well, I'm going to get pulled up about this by other residents. I better go out there and clean some of this stuff up. Just mindful of that. If it's pretty bad, I do go out there and and, and clean it because, uh, you know, it's down to me. I'm coming in with those muddy shoes. There used to be a doormat there. I think I've mentioned this in recent weeks. There used to be a doormat downstairs, which used to get rid of a lot of uh, the mud. I'd like a boot scraper like uh, buildings used to have in Victorian times, just outside the building, a boot scraper, so I could just scrape all the mud off my trainers. I try not to do it in the park too much because it always looks like uh, you're one of these unfortunates who stepped in dog's muck and is trying to clean his shoes. It's not a great visual. I'm hoping that they see the running gear and think, oh, he's just cleaning the mud from his trainers but it's not many runners in the park who actually run on the grass even in the summer most tend to just run on the uh, tarmac observations from the last week uh, just the last thing on the running I, you know I don't expect to do more than 6k today and uh, last week I think it was Wednesday even Friday I think no Wednesday was the big day where it was a real battle to just do 6k I thought I'm going to quit after a lap I don't really have this in me. And I thought, well, what is the point in going out for a lap? That would be the kind of running that I would have welcomed about two and a half years ago. But I've moved on from that. And it really isn't worth it now at this stage to just go out there for a lap. But it is mentally and physically very difficult 
for me to to run in this weather. And that's despite being covered up far more than uh, most runners. Moving on now, definitely leaving the running behind. The energy provider who misjudged the country's mood and advised us on how to keep warm without turning our energy supplies on. I think this was last week. And I had an issue with the uh, star jumps advice. They advised tongue-in-cheek to do star jumps to keep warm. Not in a flat. You can't do that in a flat, particularly in a converted flat. That's just going to cause problems with neighbours. And whoever put together that advice has never lived in a flat, as far as I'm concerned. Books. Lots of books to cover this week. I'm on my third book in, I think, four days. The first one was Nicholas Meyer's The 7% Solution, Sherlock Holmes, a Sherlock Holmes pastiche that revived interest in the character when it was flagging in the mid-70s. This was published in 1974. I think he's published five Sherlock Holmes books. I've got two. The other three are quite scarce, not easy to, to get for a decent price. And uh, I read this... It was good. I enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't one of my favourites, but I enjoyed it. Very 1970s cover, very gritty cover. Bought it on eBay, very cheap, and uh, made sure it got a good clean and quarantined it for three days when it arrived. The blurb for this book, this rediscovered Sherlock Holmes adventure recounts the unique collaboration of Holmes and Sigmund Freud in the solution of a mystery on which the lives of millions may depend. First discovered and then painstakingly edited and annotated by Nicholas Meyer, the 7% solution related the the astounding and previously unknown collaboration of Sigmund Freud with Sherlock Holmes, as recorded by Holmes's friend and chronicler Dr. John H. Watson. In addition to its breathtaking account of their collaboration on a case of diabolic conspiracy in which the lives of millions hang in the balance, it reveals such matters as the real identity of the highness, heinous. You know, I, 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 I've used this word before, highness. I've used it in an episode of Available back in 2012, and I got the pronunciation right, and I'm inconsistent today with this. I've given you both pronunciations. The heinous... Heinous? Heinous. It's heinous. I remember this now from 2012. Heinous of the heinous Professor Moriarty, the dark secret shared by Sherlock and his brother Mycroft Holmes and the detective's true whereabouts during the great hiatus when the world believed him to be dead. You might have also noted there that uh, I sometimes struggle with Holmes. I hit the L hard. Holmes. No need for that. It was a it was a clever book and uh, these, uh, an interesting take on Moriarty. As I say, not my favourite, but I'm looking forward nevertheless to reading the second book, which is called The West End Terror. The third book, The Canary Trainer, that is, well, it's not scarce, but it's expensive just to get a used copy. So I'm not sure how I'm going to do that might have to get it on the kindle which is not my uh, favored way of reading i then moved on to the complete jack the ripper by by my favorite Whitechapel murders writer paul Begg. He, he's written this one with john bennett i know so much now about this whole point in victorian london that i almost turned off a u.s podcast at the weekend after they made some huge basic errors in their ripper research they're doing a a series on it and it's a bit frustrating really because these are basic errors and I'm by no stretch of the imagination am I a ripperologist I'm just someone who knows an awful lot because I've read so many books on it the outline for this 
book, Whitechapel 1888, this is non-fiction, Whitechapel 1888, A Spate of Brutal Murders becomes the uh, most notorious criminal episode in London's history. The killer, chillingly nicknamed the Whitechapel murderer, Leather Apron, and most famously Jack the Ripper, is never brought to justice for the slaughter and mutilation of at least five women in the slums of East London. But the mystery is deepened by a letter sent from hell to Scotland Yard accompanied by half of a preserved human kidney. I think the kidney went to George Lusk, who was running the vigilance, uh, the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. In this comprehensive account of London's most infamous killer, the foremost authorities on the case explore the facts behind the most grisly episode of the Victorian era. Set in the scene in the impoverished East End, the author's meticulous research offers detailed accounts of the lives of the victims and an examination of the police investigation. It is the definitive book by Paul Begg and John Bennett exploring both the myth and reality behind the elusive killer, although they first spelled elusive wrong. It's, uh, as I say, I, I know so much about this now, so there wasn't much new stuff in there. What I like about Paul Begg is that uh, I think, again, I'm repeating myself here from a, the last, uh, some one of the last few shows, Paul Begg is never someone who's been preoccupied with trying to identify a culprit. He just gives you the facts. And I like the fact that he's he, he, he places a huge emphasis on the fact that the police were dealing with something that was completely new to them how these uh, unfortunate murders actually ended up improving the East End. It brought the poverty of the East End to wider attention and there were a lot of philanthropists already operating in the area such as uh, Dr. Bernardo just shining a light on how squalid the East End was at that time. The, the wave of Jewish immigration had added to the poverty there was so much racism around at the time. Well, I mean, I suppose you could see similarities with what we have now, but it was a really dark time in this uh, capital's recent history. And, you know, literature-wise, you've got a lot going on. You've got Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You've got Bram Stoker's uh, novel, whose name I cannot utter. You've got Sherlock Holmes debuting in 1887. There is a, a lot going on. And also we get to know the story of these unfortunate women who met their end at the hands of this killer or killers. So there's a lot there. You've got Queen Victoria taking a keen interest in the killings, wondering why the streets are so poorly lit. So as a result of these horrors, there was some improvement to the area. And that that's something that does fascinate me about this book that a lot of societal changes came about because of the light that was shone on the East End as a result of uh, these horrendous murders. I finished the the two new Sherlock Holmes pastiche books that I read from Titan. They were they were okay. Uh, some proof and errors in them that I noted being the pedant that I am. I couldn't leave it there, so I have contacted the publisher to offer my services as a proofreader, but I've done this many times, and sometimes it works, and I get work as a result of it after doing it on a trial basis. But other times, who wants to hear that their works, uh, their work has errors in it? No one really wants to hear that, so it's a, you know, it's a difficult sell. But for me, if there's an error in my work, 
I want to be told, and I have been told in the past, and I've gone out and fixed it. You, you, you go to the effort of putting something together. You want to make sure it's error-free if you can. And it's not easy, particularly at this level. But in a publishing team, a book that's been published by traditional means, there is a team, and it, you know these errors still slip through. And you've got Mr. Raynal here spotting them a mile off. I'm hoping they come back to me. And, you know, I think I'm someone who can bring a lot to the book publishing process. I can fix your work. What else am I reading? The third book of my weekend, uh, I was whizzing through. In fact, I did whiz through the first 100 pages of Jim Eldridge's Murder at the Ritz set during the Blitz. Not my favorite writer. In fact, he can tell a good story, but he's one of those writers whose storytelling is better than his actual writing. There's a few of those about, and I'm glad that it's not, his usual characters from Murder to the Ashburn Museum, if I remember rightly, and various other books. Murder at the Manchester Museum might be another one. I think they're set in the 1880s or 1890s, Murder at the Natural History Museum. So we've jumped forward now. I thought first when I saw it, it was August 1940, I thought all these characters are going to be in their 60s and 70s now. This is going to be interesting, but it's completely new characters. And it's fun, it's predictable, it's a page turner, and it's better than sitting on the sofa talking to myself in some American accent. So again, this book helped me out last night. August 1940, on the streets of London, locals watch with growing concern as, uh, as German fighter planes plague the city's skyline. But inside the famous Ritz Hotel, the cream of society continues to enjoy all the glamour and comfort that money can buy during wartime until an anonymous man is discovered with his throat slashed open. Detective Chief Inspector Coburg is called in to investigate no stranger himself to the haunts of the upper echelons of society, ably assisted by his trusty colleague, Sergeant Lampson. Yet they soon face a number of obstacles. With the crime committed in rooms in use by an exiled king and his retinue, there are those who fear diplomatic repercussions and would rather the case be forgotten i'll swallow with mounting pressure from various intelligence agencies rival political factions and gang warfare brewing either side of the thames coburg and lamson must untangle a web of deception if they are to solve the case and survive looking forward to reading that later Again, catching up with that later, enjoying it. A quick Howard Hughes shout out to Chris. Thank you for your support. Michael, thank you for the card and the Panini sticker. And you when shorts were short video out soon, hopefully, depending on when. Michael Boyd is free. Went with Michael there rather than Mickey. TV-wise, not been watching much really the last week. Newsnight killed me uh, midweek. That Emily Maitlis was away when the government sent Jacob Rees-Mogg in. I think it might have been Wednesday to bat for our disgraceful Prime Minister. A real missed opportunity for Newsnight and for the country to see one of its big ministers get mauled. I've been dipping in and out of Get Back, the Beatles documentary on a stream, which I suspect may not be legal, but which is better than Netflix, Amazon, the iPlayer, all of those. You can actually find anything on there and it works. I found it by accident before Christmas. It means no downloading from dodgy sites, which to be fair is something that I rarely do. You know my feelings on the Beatles? In summary, if you don't, the early stuff with the silly haircuts, the suits, she loves you, yeah, 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 and all that garbage, absolute rubbish, got no time for that kind of 60s music. Post-66, geniuses, incredible musicians, brilliantly crafted songs, 
incredible that they were able to put together such a run of work, such output in the final three or four years of their existence, and to be watching them slowly come apart. I mean, that that whole three, four-year period is just uh, fascinating. And I can see why many have said it's a dull documentary, because it kind of is, especially if you're not a Beatles fan. But at the same time, as a creator, it's fascinating watching any creator's let alone these guys whose whose late sixties work was so you know so outstanding, going at it and 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 struggling to get past the various creative blocks that they're coming up against. Interesting also to see McCartney, whose music, uh, whose whose writing, whose style I prefer to Lennon's. Interesting to see that he was the driving force behind the disaffected group by that stage, and also George Harrison's struggles to get any of his songs accepted by McCartney and uh, Lennon. And in the first episode, he's you know George Harrison is making out he doesn't really care if his songs aren't accepted by the band, and you think, well, come on, you don't mean that. Each of the three episodes is very long at two and a half hours, and uh, you know I'm not a fan to the extent I'm going to sit through that, but uh, you know. I'm, getting through them in uh, various settings. Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available episode 369. Follow on Twitter and Instagram at 1607westegg, facebook.com forward slash DRT available. Find all my work at danielruiztyson.com. There's the Patreon page that keeps this show alive, patreon.com forward slash DRT available. Appreciate those of you who continue to support the podcast via the Patreon page. You can, of course, also make one-off donations via danielruiztyson.com, via PayPal, and I really need to check out how you pronounce this, ko-fi.com or coffee.com. The links are on the website. Ko-fi Coffee now offer monthly membership if you want to donate via their page. I don't think their donations are as friendly to creators as patrons are, as patrons is. What a mix-up. Their donations are not as friendly to creators as the patron donations in terms of the cut they or PayPal take, but it's a two-way thing here. If you're supporting the show, it's got to be in a way that works for you too. Thank you guys for listening, and if you can and haven't already done so, do please take the time to rate, review the show on Apple Podcasts or any platform you're listening to the show on. That is the way to engage with a wider audience. Overheard, 12th of January, heading north on Lingham Street, SW90956 hours. A newish block used to be a big office, not an office block, but it used to be a big office space there for years that always seemed empty. And the newish block that was built in the last 10 years subsiding since day one, the paving stones are always broken on that side of the street. Finally got scaffolders back to complete the job that they'd started before the pandemic. There were builders at work there on the 12th of January. Overheard builder one from somewhere on the fifth or sixth floor. External works. Gal! There's always a a gal in a building team, isn't there? Gal, you put those bricks in. Looks like your work, mate. If I was living in one of them flats... Qualification for which seems to be must play loud music and smoke weed all day long because that side of the road always reeks of it. If I lived there, I would have been unsettled to hear one builder drawing attention to some particular brickwork. If the brickwork is standing out, chances are it's standing out for the wrong reasons because brickwork is brickwork. 
vague dream recollection, a curious one last week where my dad was running a bistro from Mayflower and it involved a side of him being naked at the end, far more hirsute than I remember. It was a troubling dream and in a pandemic, the last thing you want to see at home is 20 people in your front room having soup and none of them had removed their shoes. That was the worst of it. I, I you know, I, I got home and I had a real go at my dad for that. Hygiene fail of the week, Saturday the 15th, 10, 15 hours. SW8 northbound, an unmasked man kissed his girlfriend on her face mask. Very clever. Time for me to just lean across and switch the light on here to give you my nectar points. Don't think there's been much activity last week. I'll tell you what I like doing. I like going to Asda, Clapham Junction on a Friday night via the Battersea Library. I went to the library on a Friday. Thankfully, the creepy librarian in the blue velvet jacket wasn't there. Right, which is the right uh, one? Okay, my last trip to Sainsbury's was the 14th of January. I'd uh, gone in with an opening points balance of 140, bought some anti-back wipes and some sugar-free hauls, lozenges. I've got to find a way of getting off these. It's a ridiculous addiction at night. Earned just a point to take my new points balance to £1.41 worth 70p. That was one point accrued on a £1.60 spend. It's going to take forever, I think, to get back up to five. 100 Star Wars football, lots of action. I'm trying to make sure that uh, I'm playing a game every evening roughly at the same time, just after 1,800 hours after I've had my uh, my evening meal. And uh, what I do is I turn on the heating for a bit, make sure it's uh, warm when I'm going to be playing. And it's usually warm enough that I have to, to the extent that I have to take off all the layers that I'm wearing and just play the game in about three layers. So it's been a busy week of football. And again, and it's something that actually does help me. One of the few things that does help me on my run is I'm trying to work out the transfer deals come the end of the season. And I've gone from knowing who's going where to really being confused about it. I know the players that are probably going to move, but it's who do they move to? I want it to be a, a fair league. And of course, there are two new teams coming in for next season. The league's uh, on average are now taking eight to nine months to complete so with the new season probably starting in late February perhaps or early March I think that that will go on till at least Christmas which means uh, there's every chance the Silver Age season seven could climax with the uh, next Christmas Cup competition League Week 11 the battle of the top two at the time Alderaan nil Besbin nil goalless between the two fair result Tatooine. We're going with Tatooine rather than Tatooine. Give me your Tatooine pronunciations if you're a Star Wars fan. What's the correct pronunciation? DRT available at westegg1607.co.uk or record an MP3 of yourself saying it and post it to Twitter at 1607 Westegg. Who am I kidding? You're not going to do that. Tatooine 2, Hoth nil, another defeat for the bottom club. Hoth, a comfortable win for Tatooine. Goalless at half-time, but Hoth do appear to be vulnerable after the break. Goals from uh, Diaz Pure and Zuckus in their final league game before the League Cup final on Friday, which I'll bring to you in a moment. 
League Week 11, X-Wing 2, Empire nil. A good wing for X-Wing, only their second of the season. The draw specialists have only lost twice in the league this season. They've reached four semi-finals, but they do have a bit of a block winning in the league. And Rebels 1, Death Star 2. Rebels have taken the lead, Death Star came back to win by two goals to one to record their second league win on the bounce. That was just now, that meant that was just one defeat in 11 games for Death Star, the Christmas Cup winners. They're in the Europa League semi-finals. of course. They've got a they've got their second leg against Moz Eisley coming up this week. They're at home in that. So the tables now, I'll give you the, every, every team has played 11 games. I'll give you their points and goal difference. Bespin still top. 19 points, goal difference of plus six, but they have drawn seven games. They're a bit like the Arsenal Invincibles of 2003-2004, where too much is made of their invincibility. They drew a lot of games that year, Arsenal, and they also got battered four times in the Champions League. Let's not forget. Alderaan are in second place, 11 games, 17 points, plus three goal difference. Tatooine climb up to third, the reigning league champions. They're on 16 points, plus two goal difference. Empire... Slipped to fourth, 14 points, zero goal difference. Death Star up to fifth, 14 points, minus one goal difference. X-Wing up to sixth, 13 points, plus one goal difference. Rebels fall uh, fall to seventh, 12 points, minus five goal difference. Hotha in eighth place, uh, minus two goal difference. Was that right? I've got to check that. Hoth have still only conceded six goals. I think I've got that. Yeah, that's actually the case. That's bizarre. They've only conceded six goals. Right, League Cup final Friday. Besbin versus Tatooine. I think Besbin marginal favourites for that, but Tatooine won by two goals to nil to secure their third Silver Age League Cup trophy. And it was a deserved win. They played their League Cup side goals from a medical droid from the penalty spot just before halftime and a diving header from Tebow late on in the game gave them a deserved victory. Besbin will be concerned about how their season is closing out. That's the second final they've lost this season. League Week 12, Saturday the 15th, Empire absolutely destroyed by Alderaan in the first half as Alderaan looked for the win that would take them to the top of the table. And uh, Riken back in goal for Empire. Man of the match, 9 out of 10 rating, save after save. Aldron, eight outstanding opportunities in the first half. Didn't get a single goal. And uh, Empire, uh, Aldron had their keeper. Hoth Solo sent off five minutes after the break. R2 had his penalty saved by the substitute goalkeeper Endor Rebel, but scored from the rebound, and then a second goal from R2 after a lovely layoff from Trooper on 25 minutes gave Empire the points, and they're back up there now. And last night, another win for Death Star. Death Star 2, Hoth nil. Hoth still without a win. Marooned at the bottom on six points. A disastrous season. They now will finish bottom off the table this season after finishing second last season. Nil-nil uh, again at halftime, and then Hoth folded after the break. Brilliant goal from C3. Pio, his second of the season, first in the league. And Zuvio, the substitute, a uh, dinking shot. Over the keeper, hard swallow. Over the keeper, 11.07 timestamp for that last hard swallow. And uh, Death Star 2, Hoth nil. So Death Star now, they climb up to fourth, which means Tatooine uh, fifth. Tatooine travel to Bespin in this week's uh, league game. Rebels, I think, host X-Wing tonight. So it's a real logjam there at the top of the table. 
It's uh, it's the league title that no one wants to win. The cafe. Old Twitter were at the cafe on Wednesday outside, obviously concerned about safety. So they're sitting outside. There was a, a young guy with them, possibly the grandson and very young, was wearing a barber jacket and shorts, a curious look, possibly post-gym, sharp nose on him too. Good-looking guy. Mr. Old Twitter, I noticed, has a default look. Tongue placement-wise, this involves his tongue always resting on his bottom lip. When he came inside to pay, he'd masked up a good tight mask, but his default tongue pose led to his mask spotting, and I wonder whether that damp patch, which I had noticed before, but I didn't know what it was down to. I wonder whether that damp patch could be a vulnerable entry point for the virus. On Wednesday, I struggled to get my second latte during uh, my big writing session that day. I had to keep checking behind me as to what was going on. I'd managed to nab not mix table once early Jim had moved. I'd gone there via my aunt, who was wondering how her and my uncle uh, might be able to petition uh, the front room. Not the first time she's wondered how they might be able to divide the flat with my uncle not being much of a talker. She reasons she may as well be on her own. Luckily for them, I don't think the TV would be too much of a problem. If you had the divide just going up to the TV and then they could both see the TV from whatever part of the room they're sitting in because uh, both love an ITV quiz show. They both love the same Spanish and Latin American soaps. So I don't think the TV, custody of the TV, I don't think that's going to be too much of a problem. Let's get back to the cafe. A few lunches were wrecked last Wednesday after the cafe lose took a hit. I think the amputee was behind that. He was on there. Uh, he was in there rather for longer than usual. And I've uh, said before that if I was him, I'd be concerned about using my crutch in the cubicle, given the urine that is often on the floor. My idea, if I was running the cafe, I'd fix a bracket to the wall in the cubicle for him to hang his crutch up uh, to keep it away, to keep it off the urine. He could just support himself maybe with an arm, with a hand on, on, on one side of the wall. Thursday the 13th, I ordered some Portuguese toast. I pocketed any used napkins from mouth wiping. I always do. I just feel in the pandemic era, you don't want to further endanger the waiters more than they already are by leaving used napkins scrunched on your plate. But I'm wondering if when they collect my empty plate, they might be thinking, does this guy not wipe his mouth when he's eating? What kind of savage is he? I'm still, I'll swallow 1110, I'm still struggling to get used to the beard's man bun. And he's also, I've noted, incorporated a rat's tail into the back of his neckline. So it's a three hairstyles in one business. The man bun, shaved back and sides, and the rat tail. I'd arrived at 10.28 hours and had already seen two guys on South Lambeth Road drinking cans of Zuba, that strong Polish lager. 6% that stuff makes, uh, makes Stella look like child's play. Not Mick was with Morocco. He was discussing his forthcoming house move. I'm not sure from what he says if that's not happening until early April, but he's getting everything done now. He was telling Morocco and another guy that he was taught how to read before he went to school, ordered himself a, a breakfast of coffee and chips, as you do. Morocco, meantime, ran into some throat problems shortly after telling me, mystically, there's always something good. And he then went behind the swing saloon doors and proceeded to spit his guts out into the sink. I made a note not to venture behind these uh, behind the swing saloon doors until others had gone through them in case there was any pandemic lurking in the air from his spectacular mucus. 
clearances. That's the cafe for this week in terms of internet searches. A whole bunch of them this week, but they're on the iPad. All dermatological searches, so nothing new there. Just gone ever deeper into the horrendous things that can happen to skin. I'll give you the one that I can remember because I'm not going to fire up the iPad now. Solitary neurofibroma. That's the one that stood out for me. I found that one yesterday, actually, a benign lesion, not to be uh, confused with neurofibroma 1, which is the one where there are just lumps everywhere on people's skin where they just can have hundreds of these little tumors on the surface of their skin. A woman... The woman on this uh, in this picture, it was just a picture of her hand, but apparently she'd had these on the dorsum of her right hand for 40 years and a friend had asked her to get them checked out. They did turn out to be benign, but it was a fascinating picture. And that is it. That is the end of this week's show. Now it's time for you to get those shoulders back. Keep on walking towards the sun. I'm Daniel Ruiz-Tyson and this start of the week I have been available. <laughs>